Would you stand or uh, remain standing? We're going to hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 17. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So the, Micah, your joke about the candles is touched a little nerve. This morning I look over, I hear, I'm doing something in the kitchen, I hear Kristen like shout, and I look over and there is a a burning napkin on our coffee table, just like flames. It was, apparently Teddy had tried to do something and just dropped the napkin right in the candle and so... It's a little soon uh, for that. <laughs> Advent's a great time to let your toddlers play with fire, right? <laughs> I mean, is, is there a better time than that? Then, All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time um, together tonight. We thank you for this time of year uh, to sing um, about your coming, to ponder uh, once again, the uh, the beauty of the incarnation that you as our creator uh, took on flesh and became uh, like us, knowing our weakness so that you might return us to God. And so we thank you for that and pray that tonight as we study this passage that you would give us insight into the, into the wisdom of Christ. And we pray it in your name, amen. So one of my... <laughs> earliest memories of school is in uh, elementary school. At recess, we had this uh, playground that we would go out, and then the back side of the playground were these, like, line of pine trees. And they were the kind of pine trees that are, you know, they're they're not, like, they're a little high off the ground, so you can kind of, like, if you're an elementary schooler, you can, like, get underneath them. And so what would happen, and I think this was, like, third or fourth grade, what would happen at recess is that like different groups of kids would sort of claim their tree and then they would create passwords so that you had to like know the password in order to be in the club. And I just remember, and I don't have any like specific memory of being excluded, but I just, I remember wanting so badly to know the password to like the kid that was cool so I could be like under the, under his pine tree with him and like be, be cool, be in the club. And um, it's a very apt uh, description of a very universal feeling that most of us have, and that's the desire to be in. You know what I mean when I say that? Desire to be in, to kind of be included, to be uh, in the know, um, to not, like we have this fear of missing out that we talk about now, um, FOMO, if you want to be like internet savvy. Uh, that, that that's, that's kind of the adult version of this, is we don't have any like pine trees that we're trying to like get in the little like crazy little club, but we have this just insatiable desire to be in, to be accepted, to be approved. 
Right? So like you, you're at work and you walk by the conference room and you see your boss sitting with another one of the employees that's on the same level as you and you feel that in your heart. Right? You, know, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Like I, why am I not in there? Why, why am I not in there? Or, or in your family, you know, families are complicated things and you have cliques developing inside of families and you hear that your sister heard about, you know, your mom's news before you did and it like hurts you. Because you're like, what? Why, didn't, why, didn't I, why didn't I know that? Or um, just in, in social situations, we, did, have you ever like gone to a movie or gone to an activity, not because you wanted to do that for the sake of it, but because you didn't want to be left out. You didn't want to be the one that wasn't there. You want to be part of that, part of that club, part of that whatever it is. And we, 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 contact, we come in contact with this desire of ours to be in like all the time. We're just sitting there scrolling on Instagram over and over, and you just see pictures of everything everybody's doing. And every time you see another picture of somebody that you know doing something with another person you know that you're not there, there's like this little weight, this little burden that kind of presses into your heart because you wish you were, why am I not in? I want to be in. I want to be approved. I want to be, I want to be accepted. With this fear of missing out, of not being on the inside. I saw an ad uh, yesterday, or I think it was an email ad from REI. You know, this, the sale's almost over. Hurry, don't be left out. Like, advertisers constantly use this desire to not be left out against you, to, like, win you over into doing something. Um, not because you necessarily need anything, but because you don't want to be left out at the sale, right? You want to be in. You want to be, you want to be accepted. Um, and we, we, we sense this on the other side, too. When you are in, you know, when, you, when you're in, whatever the, whatever the club is that you want to be in and you're in, and you see somebody who's not in, and you feel that little, like, pleasure that you're in and they're not. You felt that? That little, like, just like, gla- or, or somebody that's really important that you know is talking to you, and they say we, and they're talking about you and them. And you're like, we, <laughs> right? Like, you're in. You're in. It's, a, it's, a, it's an insatiable desire that we as human beings have. C.S. Lewis wrote this, or had, it was a speech. It's now an essay, turned into an essay. It's really, really great. It's called The Inner Ring. And he writes this. I believe that in all men's lives, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. It's one of the great permanent mainsprings of human action. He believes that so much of what we do as human beings is to be in whatever that, whatever the ring is for you in your, in your circle, whether that's at work or your family or at home or just in so, like you, you, we want to be in. And it becomes this dominating both desire and the flip side of that is a dominating fear of being out, of not being included, of not being accepted. And it, and it takes power over what we do because we, we get to the point where so subtly we just, we need to be in, we need to be, we need to be accepted. And it, and it drives what we do and we don't even know it because it's subtly operating in the background. He says, unless, C.S. Lewis, unless you take measures to prevent it, this desire is going to be one of the chief motivations of your life from the first day until you're too old to care. It's, it's operating. And in this text, Peter, I think, puts his finger right on this fear, the fear of being out. And he says, this fear of being out is a primary obstacle to doing mission. It's a primary obstacle to doing mission. So we're just going to walk from top to bottom. I want you to see how this fear operates, how we see it in the text, and Peter's answer in response to it. How can we do mission in the face of this thing that drives us and blocks our way to living lives of faithful presence? So 
He starts out, he says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? This is very similar to Romans 8 where Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He's saying, you know, if you're, if you're doing what's right, who's going to harm you? But then he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Now we think of suffering for righteousness' sake, and I think most of our minds, my mind at least when I read that, goes to, you know, being thrown into the lion's den or physical bodily harm, suffering. I'm like, I'm not suffering. But if you look carefully, later on in the passage, you see that he mentions two things, slandering and reviling. So when Peter is thinking of suffering for righteousness sake, it's my understanding of of the text and of the situation he's writing into, like we've talked about. These people are experiencing exile and outcast, that mainly what he's talking about is social pressure, like the feeling of being out. He's saying, even if you should feel like you're on the outside, if someone should slander you, if someone should revile you. So it's not, he's not talking about fear for our lives. He's talking about fear for our acceptance. So if you get to the point while doing good, while following Christ, that you feel out, it's okay. You'll be blessed. And then he says this. He says, have no fear, nor be troubled. See, and again, f- we think of fear for our lives, but he's talking about that fear that I talked about, that C.S. Lewis identifies as this, the terror of being left out. That this thing that's operating in our hearts, the desire to be in, when we get to the point where we're slandered or reviled, it causes us to change course to avoid that. that you see how that works? And he's saying, don't fear that. Theologians for a long time have called this the fear of man. The fear of man, the fear that they're going to expose or humiliate us, the fear that we'll be rejected or ridiculed, the fear that we'll be attacked or oppressed or threatened, fear that we might not be in. And he says, do not, be, do not have fear of them. Ed Welch wrote a book, he's a counselor, wrote a book called When, when People Are Big and God Is Small. I think he summarizes this idea really well. He says, we are, as humans, fundamentally committed to keeping people happy and having them like us, having them think we're smart and contemporary and hip, tolerant, progressive, fun, approving, the list goes on. I don't know what you think of when you think of fear, but I think when Peter writes about not fearing them, this is what he's talking about. The fear of being out and what we do to try and get in the things that we won't do, the way that we don't obey God because we're trying to be in, we're trying to get back to a place of acceptance. And so he says, don't fear, don't fear man. Instead, do the opposite. And here's what he says is the opposite of fearing man. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So the opposite of fearing man is honoring Christ in our hearts as holy. It's actually a really interesting um, sentence structure underneath. It's the verb to sanctify, just like to make holy, to set apart. That's why some translations say set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. To sanctify is to, to set apart. What does it mean? What does he mean to honor Christ the Lord as holy? Well, it's interesting because once again, he's quoting from the Old Testament. It's a little less obvious here, but he's quoting from, once again, the book of Isaiah. So you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 8. I'm going to read these three verses. Isaiah chapter 8. He's referenced Isaiah chapter 8, this exact same passage before, when he talked about the stumbling stone. I don't know if you remember that from, I don't know, five or six weeks ago. This is the same passage. Isaiah chapter 8. And the context here is that um, there are people coming to attack 
um, Israel. And so there's a lot of fear involved because there's someone coming to attack. And this is what God, through the prophet, uh, says to, um, to the people of Israel. This is what you should tell the king who's really worried about this attack. He says this, verse 11, chapter 8, verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. So what does it mean? To sanctify the Lord, to honor Christ the Lord as holy in your heart, it means to fear God. Fear God, not man. Reminds you of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. Remember, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The way to get rid of this insatiable desire that we have for the approval of man is to fear God, to understand who God is, to understand his holiness. I had a friend back when I used to work with the camp that uh, used to say all the time, what you fear is what you will worship. See, in the Bible, fear is intricately connected to worship. Worship. And what is worship? It's allegiance and affection. It's whatever you're controlled by is what you worship. If, If anything controls your actions, that's what you are worshiping. And so Peter is saying, don't let Men and the approval of men control your actions. Instead, understand God's holiness and allow him to control your actions. Right? So to fear man is to go around our lives, either intentionally or unintentionally, worshiping and desiring that inness and allowing our desire to be accepted by people, whether that's at work or at home or at school or family, wherever it is, allowing that to, to draw us in and control what we do in order to get that. And Peter says, don't do that. You don't need to do that. When we worship God, when we come and we come into his presence, we, come, we understand the gospel and we experience that, it drives away this fear of man that stops us from doing what God has called us to do. There's an interesting difference between Isaiah chapter 8 and 1 Peter chapter 3. There's one thing that Peter changes when he quotes it. All right, Peter, uh, Isaiah chapter 8, he says, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. And let me get back to First Peter. In First Peter, you may notice, he adds a word. He says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. He adds the word Christ. It's just we don't, you know, it's the New Testament, you see Christ all over the place, you don't think much of it. The main point of what Peter's saying is that if we want to worship God, if we want to see God, if we want to understand and fear him, the way to do that is through, is through Jesus. It's through the gospel. The gospel is the story of God covering his naked enemies, bringing them to the wedding feast, and then marrying them rather than crushing them. You see, God brings us in through Christ in the kingdom of God, in the presence of God, in the family of God. This is all the things that Peter has been talking about. In, 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 in. And when we experience the inness of Jesus, we don't need to walk around seeking the inness that comes from man. You see how that works? 
When we worship God, when we understand, when we experience God, we don't need, need, as we walk around the world, (laughs) to be in. And when we feel that exclusion, we don't need to fear or worship that because we have received the gospel. We're free from this quest to be finding in-ness from people. And so that requires us to know and experience the gospel. That's why we come here every week and experience the gospel in the form that we do. While we read it, while we hear the, the forgiveness of Christ spoken over us. I want to encourage and challenge you in, you know, in this season especially as we celebrate Advent, as we look at the light, as we see that grow, as we wait, that we need to be contemplating the mysteries of God in Christ. It's only in doing that, in coming in contact with Jesus, that we will be able to get beyond our fear of man. Otherwise, we're going to continue to go around to the places we go and be controlled by this desire to be approved and accepted by the people that we come in contact with. And so out of this place of inness, then, Peter says, with Jesus, we're accepted and we're in, and now we can do and understand and receive what he's calling us to do. So he says, he continues in verse 15. This is the, the verse that always gets quoted out of this section. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I want you to see two things that we're called to do out of this place of knowing that we're accepted and we're in the family of God. Two things that he calls us to do. First is to be prepared to give a verbal answer. That's the Greek word, a verbal answer for our hope. Let me just clarify, because this verse, the, 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 the Greek word is apologia. Okay, and you've, you've, you've probably heard this word before. You've heard people talk about apologetics. So when you read this verse, you instantly think apologetics. You think, I need to know the 10-point proof for the existence of God. I need to know this. I need to know that. I have to understand why this religion is wrong or that religion is wrong. And this whole, this whole uh, sort of thing that we call apologetics. And there's this weight of like, I can't do that. But that is not really at all what Peter's talking about. And if you've heard me use this example before, I apologize, but it's my favorite example. When I go, Gary, this is what I told you the other day. When I go to Ruth's Chris, right, it's my favorite place to eat a steak. I like steak. Hopefully, do you like steak? Do we have any, like, vegetarians in the room? Sorry. So I go to Ruth's Chris and eat a steak, the best steak I've ever had. When I come home from Ruth's Chris, when I come and talk to you about where, and you say, hey, you know, what did you do last week? I said, I had the greatest steak I've ever had. It was amazing. I don't have to be told how to share with you the amazement and the beauty of my experience, right? I don't need to know where the steak came from or where the cow, what the cow was fed or what the supply chain was to get to Roos Chris. That's all fine and good to know, but I don't need to know all of that. All I need to know is that I tasted it and now I'm telling you that it was the best steak I've ever had. And I can describe like the butter sizzling on top at 500 degrees, how the plate is like 1,000 degrees, and when you flip the steak over, you can like cut your steak at Ruth's. I don't know if you ever experienced this. You cut it, and in the middle it's like red, and then you take that red piece and you put it up against the plate, and the plate's so hot it will sear your steak right there. It's amazing. It's so amazing. It's so good. It's so good. I need a moment. I need a moment. I just... Oh, it's so good. That's what he's talking about. Be prepared to give 
a verbal explanation for tasting the beauty and the gloriousness of being in the family of God. Tasting it so that you know and you can say, this is the personal hope that I have. I've experienced this, this satisfaction of what Jesus has done and who he is for me, that I'm in the kingdom of God. So when he says, be prepared to give a verbal answer, he's saying, you need to know and be willing and be able to say that. Many of us don't. Some of us, for some of us, it's because we haven't actually tasted, right? I can't tell you about a steak that I've never eaten. I mean, I can tell you about it. I, I could probably actually know all the facts about it, but I can't explain to you the joy of it without having tasted it. So for some of us, the reason we can't explain is because we're not tasting enough. For others of us, it's back up to, it's back up to the verse we just looked at. We, we are afraid of man. We have this fear that when we explain how good Jesus is, that we're going to be out. We're going to be slandered. We're going to be reviled. And Peter's saying, look, we have to understand. Fear God. God is holy. God is the one that we should be dreading. God is the one who is the person who we need to be responsible to when we're talking about our lives and going around through our lives. And so what this produces, if we understand um, what, who God is and the fear we're supposed to have, and we've experienced the gospel, it produces boldness. It produces boldness. Because we're not afraid of what man can do to us. Because we've experienced, we know we're in the kingdom of God and we've experienced what that's like, so we can share it. Charles Spurgeon said, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep the good news to yourself. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. It cannot be. When we taste what Jesus is and who he is and what he's done, we will, be, we will talk about it. We will have no choice. So can you do that? Are you able to articulate, not a defense of the Christian faith from an intellectual perspective, that's fine and good. People need to know how to do that. Can you articulate, right now, can you articulate who Jesus is to you? Can you articulate what it feels like to be in the kingdom of God? If somebody asked you, what would you say? Think about it. We, we, we need to be, this is what Peter is calling for. We need to be able to verbally articulate it. Not point to me as your pastor or someone else, but to say, I know because I've experienced. That's what he's calling for. Be prepared in everyday, ordinary things. He's not calling us necessarily to go out and preach on the street corners. There are some people called to do that. What he's advocating for is us being able to respond when someone says, hey, what, why, do you, why do you live like that? And this brings us to the second thing. He says, you see it in verse 16, having a good conscience, good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your Good behavior. It's the same word good with conscience and behavior. And this is what we've been talking about for the last five weeks. This is humble submission, patient endurance, redemptive participation, selflessness. If you're living with these, th- with these characteristics, if these things describe your life, you will have people coming to you saying, I don't understand why you're doing that. Why are you not fighting your boss? Why are you not fighting for that spot at work? Why are you staying in that marriage? People are going to be confused about your life if you're living the way that Peter has described. So you see, the, the, the order here is that as we pursue this kind of life, 
people see it and they say, what, what is happening? And they come to you and they say, why are you doing that? And Peter's call is for us to say, this is why I'm doing that. This is why I am humble. This is why I am patient. This is why I endure. This is why I am selfless, to be able to explain clearly what Jesus has done. If no one is ever asking you about your life, it's possible that you're not living a life that's described the way Peter describes it. Peter's expecting that people are going to ask because this kind of life leads people to Jesus. That's what we've been saying. That holiness, that our living this kind of life is just as much about our identity as missionaries to the world as it is about just personally being sanctified. That living this kind of life leads people to Jesus. You see, most people's questions about Christianity are not metaphysical questions. Like, we're always taught to answer the question, like, you know, if somebody says, Where, how do I get to heaven? Like, nobody's asking that question. People are asking, wait, why are you acting like that? People's questions are earthy and in the moment and real, and they want to know about you and your life. It's not bad to know about the, the big metaphysical constructs of Christianity, but what's more important is to know about how you've tasted Jesus and to be able to explain that. But Peter also issues a warning here. So he says, be able to verbally explain your tasting of Jesus, your behavior, be able to do that. But then he issues this little warning in the middle. Do it with gentleness and respect. And the word for respect, there's actually fear, which I think is probably a better translation because that's what he's talking about in the passage. So I think what he's saying is do it with gentleness in fear of God, knowing that you're fearing God, be gentle. And here's what I wrote in my notes as this point. Smugness is yucky. Smugness is yucky, right? If when we read this and it says be bold, normally what that would create because we're sinful human beings is for us to be smug. Well, I'm bold. I don't have to fear you so we can just stand back and be smug. And he says, hey, I know if you're really, really bold in the gospel, you're gonna be bold. Do it with gentleness, meekness. Not being prideful about the ways that we're not afraid of man, but being gentle and humble about it. Right? The things that should be calling people's attention to our lives is not that we're performing religious acts. Okay? And I'll pick on this one. I apologize in advance if I offend anyone, but praying for your meal at a restaurant and being proud that you did that unashamedly, it, that's not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about being humble. The person who kind of pats himself on the back for praying publicly, that's what the Pharisees did. They stood on the street corner and said, hey, I'm praying. You see this? That's not what he's not talking about, those kind of religious acts where you're not afraid of anybody critiquing you. He's talking about actually getting into the mess of the world and being humble and being patient, being selfless, and people being like, what? why are you acting like that? That's a lot different than performing religious acts in public. You see the distinction there? So, Smugness is yucky, so be gentle, he says. Do it with gentleness and respect while fearing God. When we're smug, we're not gonna draw people into Christ. So when we put all these things together, we get this week's phrase, which is, what kind of life leads people to Jesus? It's a life of gentle boldness. Boldness because we're willing to speak about what Jesus has done and who he is. Gentle because that's the way Jesus is. He's not calling us to be apologists. He's calling us to gentle boldness in everyday, ordinary life. So we've said from the beginning, we want to be ordinary 
do ordinary things, go about our ordinary business in the way that that Peter is explaining to us is the, the way that draws people to Jesus. So application questions for this week are, are you prone to the fear of man? In what areas of your life do you see that? Is it with your family? Is it at work? Is it with your spouse? In what ways are you controlled by getting other people's approval? That will not lead you to be bold and gentle. Are you gentle? You might be bold. Are you doing it gently and with respect? Leading people to Jesus. Gentle boldness. Peter ends with the result. So that, do all this, gentle boldness, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Eugene Peterson in the message says it this way. This is just a great summary. Keep a clear conscience before God so that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick. They'll end up realizing that they're the ones who need a bath. It's just earthy. That's what he's talking about. Living the kind of life, being gentle and bold, speaking about Jesus, so that when people revile us and and push us out, they'll see that we're not fighting back, that we're able to say, I'm in the kingdom of God. I don't need to seek in this from, from, from men and women. So what kind of life leads people to Jesus? It's a life of gentle boldness, faithful presence. It's fueled by our worship of God, overcoming our fear of man so that people will come to understand what it's like to taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel that um, teaches us that in you we are accepted, that we have all that we need, that you fill our hearts with, uh, with joy, with peace, and that allows us to walk uh, in worship, humble worship of you, trusting that you are all that we need. So I pray that you'd give us that gentle boldness, able to speak clearly um, the reason for the hope that we have in gentleness and that people would come to see that you um, are their savior as well as ours. So as we give our tithes and offerings, Father, once again we ask that um, whether we give here, whether we uh, give online, no matter how we give, Father, that you would impress on our hearts in, in these next few moments, um, reminding us that part of the gospel is that you have purchased us, that you own all things that are ours, and that you call us to walk in your way, and that by giving, um, that we demonstrate that you um, are our king. So we pray this in your name. Amen.